Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hey, everybody. Chad Madden here with the Grow Your Practice podcast, and today we have a very special guest and a familiar face. Bob, I think you're a four-timer now here on the Grow Your Practice podcast, but it's, uh, yeah, Bob Kowalik with uh, RCS Revenue Cycle Solutions. He's a physical therapist, private practice owner, uh, father of physical therapist, husband to a physical therapist, Um yeah, it knows private practice inside and out, has a lot of data, a lot of new stuff for us to look at. So welcome to the podcast here, Bob. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate it very much. And it's a pleasure to be here as always. And uh, also a father-in-law to physical therapist, so we don't want to leave that one out. <laughs> wow, that's great. <laughs> pretty, yeah. pretty widespread there. Um, the So for listeners that haven't heard your story before, Bob, can you just take a second and talk about, um, you know, your career as a physical therapist and also what you did, because you had an amazing uh, journey there as a private practice owner, very successful. Um, before we get into the billing and revenue cycle conversation, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I, you know, I worked for a hospital system for about seven years and then went off on my own and started a practice and um hired my first employee i opened with uh one f one one employee plus myself and we um you know we were outpatient ortho and sports medicine as as many are and you know we just did it right uh we were very focused on outcome and and service and all that and so we grew to about 10,000 visits a month in about a four to five year time frame um and so then i kind of rode that out for a while and ended up uh ended up selling um to one of the big consolidators at the time um ended up through um just a series of kind of unforeseen events right i didn't have a master plan to go into the revenue cycle management business and at the time we just called it billing right medical billing um and and there is an important distinction between medical billing and revenue cycle management. I mean, billing is a piece of revenue cycle management, right? So, um, but you know, I, I sold, and uh, I was the only owner. Um, felt pretty guilty about selling and having all my billing staff. We did billing in house. Um, I had seven or eight billers on staff um, at the time, and felt guilty they were all going to lose their job because I sold the company, right? So, <clears throat> so. One thing led to another, um, ended up spinning off my billing department um, into a standalone company. And that's evolved into, you know, what, what we're doing today. So started off uh, originally, all we did for the first couple of years was um, collect accounts receivables for acquired practices. So if the seller acquired the AR, we were converting the AR to cash for the seller. If, if the buyer acquired the AR, we were converting AR to cash for the buyer. And then over time expanded to full service. And we've had just a nonstop evolutionary process really ever since then. So we've gone from focused on, you know, billing to using billing as a business intelligence tool. And happy to talk all about that as we go through the podcast. Awesome. 
so it, and, and thanks for touching base on the introduction um I, i'll probably ask you about navy seals here uh at, at the very end for fun okay the can you give people some idea around the the scope of and because i i think that most people don't understand how many practices you work with because it's this is more than four or five other practices that you're helping with revenue cycle solution and also like the you have a pretty big staff right now of 30 or 40 plus, but I'm not sure the exact number, but can you give people an idea of this, the size of the scope of the data that you're looking at when to set up as we're talking about um, the data as a BI tool? Sure. Uh, you know, we have a wide range of practices from small uh, one location, single practitioner offices up to, you know, uh, you know, 5,000 visits a month type practices with multiple locations. So we're in total um, working with about two or 250 or so different offices, different clinics, and that's across about 75 or so different practices. Um, and we have somewhere between 50 and 60 uh, FTEs doing billing right now. Well, that's a lot. Uh, yeah. So working with a lot of practices, a ton of data. Um, I know you mentioned um, data as the BI tool. And, and uh, just to clarify for everybody, that stands for business information correct? or business intelligence. Business intelligence. Yeah, it is all information. Yeah. Right. So um, can you talk about how, the, you know, the most recent evolution about how you, you know, a few years ago, you and I were talking a lot about ADO score and now um, there seems to be a, a heavier focus on time and billing time, especially when a big pain point for most of us as owners is we feel like we're doing more and more work for less and less money at a higher business cost. We're getting our margins are shrinking dramatically, and we can talk about that. But that some insurance companies are we're spending a lot more money to collect a dollar from than other insurance companies. So can you talk about that last step in the evolution? Um, from ADO score over to the, the business intelligence? Yeah, so if I can, you know, a little bit of context on, on the reasons behind, right? The why behind the what. I I still think like a physical therapist, right? All, all you great physical therapists out there, you don't you don't look at a patient and go, oh, you got back pain. I know everything there is to know, right? You, you, you do the deep dive into the why, right? You try to really figure out why things happen. And I can't shut that part of my brain off. So um, I, I've approached this billing and revenue cycle management, um, you know, business and, you know, with that, um, you know, with, with that kind of thing driving my, my thought process. So the, the fundamental business problem that I have or had and still have to, to lesser extent, but still have um, was the amount of time that it took to do physical therapy billing from one practice to another had a variance on a per unit of measure. And so let's just call one visit equals one claim for conversation. And I know that there's scenarios out there with UBO4 billing where my, you might bill multiple dates in, a, in, in one claim form, but let's just for a conversation, say that the vast majority of the industry's billing, a visit equals a claim. So we we look at the world in terms of visits, right? So, and that's visits had, treated, not scheduled. So um, per visit, 
or per certain number of visits, the amount of time investment that we were putting in to create a constant outcome had a variance of a thousand percent. So that's 10x. And you, you scratch your head, you go, how is that even possible? Literally, it's like if you were you know, going to treat your next patient yet, and you didn't know if you were going to spend 30 minutes or 300 with that patient. It, it's kind of crazy that 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 could be true, but it is true. And so another important thing to keep in mind about how we approach this from the beginning, you know, um, as crazy as this might sound, I, I didn't care in the beginning that I made money doing billing. I, I went into the billing business because I wanted to save jobs, right? So I, I had one constant, one policy, whatever you want to call it. And, and that was, we're going to get we're going to do whatever it takes in terms of time to produce the outcome that that is needed. We want to collect all the money that's available as quickly as possible. And I did not care what it took in terms of time in order to produce that outcome. So that put me in a very interesting position that's proven today to be the only reason, the very reason why I can speak to the things that I can today. Because if I artificially control time, and this is what happens throughout the industry is time is a constant it's it, you got a you got an FTE or two or you outsource billing to somebody that um, is a fixed percent of revenue and they create a time budget and they essentially ration time and so where where most of the billing world has been forever is they directly control time and outcome becomes a variable Right. I approached it where I wanted the outcome to be a constant and the time to be a variable. And, and that fundamentally put me in over time in a little different place. I didn't know at the time what I what I know today. I, I didn't see that, you know, 10 years out. Uh, but as this evolved, um, we because we were in that structure, I was able to experience something as amazing as a thousand percent time variance from, you know, one, you know, practice to another and ask the question, why, what the heck, why, why can, why could that be true? What are the things about this practice versus this practice that cause us to have to spend so much more time to get some similarity and outcome? And so we've been focused on now for years, explaining the time variance um, and the biggest driver of all is what I call revenue cycle complexity. Um, there's a claim is not a claim. Some claims are very difficult to get paid. Some claim, claims are broken and they require a whole bunch more time, right? Some are very clean and they just go from claim submission to payment. And so there's many variables that determine the complexity of converting your um, claims you know, into cash. And let me just introduce another concept here that, you know, the, simplifies kind of the, the, the way that I, you know, view this whole thing. What physical therapists do with their time is convert time into modifier CPTs and units and documentation. And that, all of that goes into that, your coding, your units, your modifiers, your AMA versus CMS rules, all the things, your schedule structures, all this stuff is part of the process of converting time into potential revenue. Revenue cycle management is all about then converting potential revenue into cash. 
And there's many, many things that happen along the way um, that create a lot more complexity in that process of converting potential revenue to cash. Some of them are caused by the things that happen in creating potential revenue. Some of it is related to your systems that you work in, the software, they're not all created equal, the clearinghouse that you use, the, the, the quality at which you're able to control and do accurate patient registration and data entry and making sure that credentialing is in order and authorization management happens and verification of benefits is capturing all the information. And there's many, many things about all the practice as a whole that are all revenue cycle functions that ultimately will determine how easy or difficult it is to get paid. And that's where the huge variance lied and in large part was in the practice operations execution on all the things that determined whether a claim was gonna be easy or very difficult or even impossible you know, to collect on. The other big piece of the puzzle is your payer mix. You know, as we know, and you've already mentioned this, Chad, that the complexity from the payers is going up quite a lot. Right. Medicare Advantage plans are harder to get paid by than Medicare. You know, Medi Medicaid HMOs are harder to get paid by than straight Medicaid. Commercial insurances, you know, that pay on a fee schedule versus a fixed, uh, you know, per diem rate. There's a huge variance in the amount of complexity that comes from the payer. And so I believe that today private practice owners need to understand their practice in the context of the complexity around getting paid because the cost to get paid, that escalation in cost is directly related to the complexity that's created. Some of it controlled, you know, controllable and, and preventable and some of it structural and just kind of the way it is. And um, having that understanding is what's super important to understand your cost, your time. Um, it is all about time. And, and so managing revenue cycle is all about creating balance between the time it takes to get your billing done to produce the outcome you want and the supply of that time. And if you're out of whack, if your demand is way higher than your supply, um, bless you, the, um, uh, th that's where the problems come in. The AR accumulates and the amount of time it takes to clean up old AR is three to five times the time it takes to keep AR clean. So there's so many variables that we've discovered over time that drove that 10x variance in time per visit. Um, and we've just come up with ways as we've continued to evolve to really quantify those things and understand those things and now we're heading down the path of trying to help clients actually fix those things. So it, that's that was the big evolutionary need was to really understand the drivers of time. Great. That um, so I, I want to walk through just a real life example, um, hypothetical. But uh, so if, if we had two practices, and uh, so practice A, they see a hundred visits a week. Right, maybe two clinic, two full-time clinicians. So let's call it 430 visits a month. And they're they're doing all the revenue cycle management with 20 hours per week, or if we multiply that by 4.3, it's roughly 86 hours. So one a half a full-time equivalent. Practice B is also seeing the 430 a month, 100 visits a week. But with your a thousand percent variance, 
they might actually not need 86 hours or a half of a full-time equivalent in billing. They might actually need five FTEs or 860 hours a month of billing for the same exact number of visits. So in the example of the variance, is that what you're saying? Yes. Um, normalized down to a per claim basis, the average time investment could be that different. Um, now, what, what you need to understand is, well, what percentage of all the claims that are in play, right, that are in the process of converting from potential revenue to cash actually have issues that take time, right? So where that variance comes in is, is, is uh, we have had clients and have clients to this day that nearly 100% of their claims have something wrong with it that needs to be fixed. Now, contrast that to somebody that, that that's only true for on 5% of your claims, right? So that is where this huge time variance comes is in the things that create difficulties and problems for the claim so that it can't go straight from claim submission to payment. The other variable, which is a little more difficult to understand is the payer mix. So if you think of the worst payer you have, whoever that is, right? Um, and imagine if, 70% of your visits were that payer, right? So think about how, how that would impact the time that it would take to get your billing done. They they tell you you don't need an authorization, but you do. And so now you've got to go through and prove that you were told that you didn't need an auth and you've been, and, and essentially build the case and then get a retro, you know, auth. And so now you're investing hours to get claims paid, whereas it should have just happened, right? Um, so that combination of practice grown issues and payers bringing their complexity to the table, that the, how the, depending upon the percentage of all the claims that are affected by these things, has the ability to have that much variance from one time to another. And in fact, let me just throw another point here because I've been trying to get to this for years. You can't even know if your biller is a productive, efficient biller or not without understanding and normalizing for the condition that the biller works in, right? So if the biller is in this condition of needing to fix a lot of things and needing to deal with a high percentage of claims that are from payers with payers that are complicated to work with, you, you can't even know what that efficiency of that biller could be under a very smooth, more organized, more structured, more predictable condition. So it becomes very difficult to even go down the path of things like motivating your biller, incentivizing, creating performance pay you know, programs. Because the worst thing you can do, in my opinion, for performance pay is put somebody subject to somebody to things that are out of their control. Right. And there's a lot about billing that's out of the biller's control. A lot of directions we could go here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so I want to make sure that we, within the context of what you see happening right now in private practice, I know back, I'm going to guess it was 2018, 2019, when you and I spoke. I believe the national, the industry average for private practice PT, the average margin was 14.6%. We've had the pandemic, right? We've had reduction in physician fee schedule. 
Um, we have increased costs of doing business today. As an industry, where are we at today in terms of margin, average margin? Yeah, I think we're still in that same range because the you know uh, since then revenue per visit. Uh, if you are, um, if you are entirely, if your revenue per visit is entirely based on the payers change over time, revenue per visits are down, you know, 12 percent. Um, so. If you have an adjusted cost with that, you, you know that kind of change in you know downward pressure in revenue per visit can almost you know eliminate margin entirely, right? So, um, I think um, this is what's driving you know practice owners to think about contracting and which how should they change payer mix? Maybe go out of network with certain payers that pay low amounts and all that. So there's a lot of transitional things going on that are having some success at keeping that revenue per visit closer to where it used to be. But the degree to which you can control all these variables ultimately determines where you're at. Um, short of major structural payer mix change, okay, just put that aside for a second. Working in the system, uh, in network, taking what payers are paying, um, the about the best that I'm seeing is over the past five years, still maintaining about 96, 97% of revenue. Um, and that's with optimizing coding and, and other things like that. Now there's- So that's a three or 4% reduction. Yeah, but but that's with, for practices that are doing a really good job at, at holding up and propping up things that they can, right? Now, for practices that can go through structural evolution and change payer mixes and, and, and properly select payers to go out of network and change a $50 payer into a $100 visit um, scenario. There's more, uh, there, there's examples of practices that have been able to actually raise revenue per visit over the past five years. So, um, and in the context of what we're talking about here, controlling this revenue cycle complexity, I believe is the biggest opportunity of all to mm -hmm. Uh, to keep revenue as high as it can be. I, I, I want to introduce a concept of revenue per visit ceiling, right? It's it's the based on your structure, it's the most you can expect to get. And it's based on a lot of structural variables, your payer max, your schedule, what you code, right? Um, are you using AMA time-based rollup versus CMS on, you know, for, you know, so there's lots of variables that determine the maximum potential revenue. Right. And so um, that maximum potential revenue is your revenue per visit ceiling or your revenue limit. Right. And the, the objective number one for revenue cycle is get 100 percent of whatever that number is. Um, you know, if you're scheduling, if you're if you're billing out, you know, two units a visit because you've got a 30 minute appointment or, you know, two point something units or something close to three, your revenue per visit can't be as high as somebody with a 60 minute appointment, right? But so there is optimization. I'm not saying 60 minutes is the way to go. In fact, I believe that and we've talked about this, that somewhere around that 40, 38, 38, yeah, well, 38 for federal <laughs> and 40 for commercial, right? Or non-federal. So somewhere in that 40 minute range is the optimal schedule structure for producing revenue per FTE. Not necessarily revenue per visit, but revenue per FTE. 
So, you know, we could talk more about that if you'd like, but it, you know, that there's, that's an example of a structural limiter, right? So you have to understand this, the revenue that's available based on your structure, then your revenue cycle converting potential revenue to cash. The objective is convert all that money to cash as quickly as possible, shortest time in AR, right? And this is where the ADO score thing comes in. The you know, you have to know what short an AR is. You have to understand your payer mix. You have to sit, you have to understand that both based uh, on, yeah. For people that don't know what ADO is, can you briefly explain what that stands for? And if they haven't heard that before? Yeah. ADO average days outstanding. There's some different terms out there like DSO and, you know, there's, there's, but it basically all means how long on average is it taking you to get paid from the date of service to the date of, Payment posting. Right? So May 1st, I deliver the service. May 30th, I get paid. That's 30 days. 30 days, right. And if you if you throw out there to all the, you know, the industry experts, um, well, what's good? They'll throw out numbers that mean absolutely nothing. 30 days, really good. 40 days. It it it's meaningless out of the context of well, what's your payer mix? You all probably have payers that pay you in 10 days. What if 100% of your visits were that pair? Would 30 days be good? No, it would be awful. It would be three times as long as it should be, right? It would be a 300% ADO score. So um, you don't have single pairs. You have a mix of a whole bunch of different kinds of pairs. And so your part of your data picture for your practice needs to be understanding your payer mix in the context of how long that payer mix on average should take to get paid. We average nationally about 24 days. Um, and, and so it doesn't mean we don't have a 40 day client or, you know, we, uh, we have 12 day clients, right? So, you know, it's, it's all over the map based on the pair mix, but, um, so you have to, you know, kind of understand the metrics and and the data in the context of pair mix, I, I think is one of the biggest drivers of what goes on in a practice. It determines your potential revenue. Right. It determines the complexity of getting paid. It determines um, how many visits you're going to get. Right. So the combination of visits and revenue per visit determines what the financial, the gross value of a patient is to the practice. If you're averaging $100 a visit and you get 10 visits, that's a $1,000 gross value of a new patient. Um, but if you only get five visits, it's $500. Right. If you got if you're getting sixty dollars in five visits, it's three hundred dollars. And we see that kind of variance in what that gross value of a new patient gross, meaning there's no cost applied to it yet. Right. So um, all these complexity variables um, impact ultimately what the revenue is going to be. I want, I want you to think in the context of. If something is happening with your claims that's causing your biller to have to spend a lot more time than they should have, if that thing didn't happen, then that is a revenue risk. Inefficiencies, time inflators, things that inflate the time of the billing process, all are revenue risk to the practice, either in terms of amount or timing. They're two sides of the same coin. We could pick 
we track 250 different ways that this happens. Okay. I could tell you 250 of them, but um, pick one, you know, you were, well, we'll use the example we already said, you were told you didn't need an authorization. And so you didn't get one. And it turns out you get your first visit process and it comes back denied for no auth. That's the payer. That's a payer error. Different than your verification of benefits process didn't determine that an authorization was needed. And so one was not obtained. Um, now, try to get those eight to 10 visits paid that you've already treated before you got your first claim back, right? Um, your first EOB or ERA back. So um, the, the point is that there's so many things that slow down revenue, that put revenue at risk, decrease the amounts by, and they're all inflators in the billing process in terms of billing time, that there's tremendous opportunity to keep that revenue per visit up keep you know at the top of that what the ceiling is um and it's a and it's a pretty under you know it's it's a it's a pretty um underutilized strategy everyone's focused on and I'm not saying don't focus on these things but you know asking for money contracting those things but what I you know what I think is ideal is that your operations are producing hundred percent of the structural revenue that's available as quickly as possible. And if under that condition, your margin is still too low, then your costs are either too high or you have to look at a change in your structure. You need to change that payer mix. You need to change the things that determine what the ceiling is. And so it's a kind of complicated, but you have to really understand the condition and the and understanding condition is all about data. Yeah. Um, a lot of questions for you on data. Before we get there, I just want to be clear. So 2019, 14.6% margin. I thought I heard you say here that uh, it was similar. That's for the practices you're working with, but there has been a 4% decrease in revenue. I, I, I'll say this empirically. I've talked with more owners than ever before within the last six months to year that are under that are 10% or lower in margin. Um, we're talking with Greg Crabtree. This is probably now five, six, seven years ago. He had said, you know, that's kind of the Mendoza line that anytime you dip below 10% margin in a service-based business, you're skating on very thin ice. Um, and it, it's universal. It's not just a physical therapy, any service-based business. Um, regardless of size, he said, you're really, you're, you're playing with fire a little bit or any other analogy that you want to use. Um, are you, if the average is still in that 14, 15% range, are you seeing more practices in jeopardy than ever before without, we won't get into fear mongering or anything like that, Bob? Well, um, yeah. And understand too, that as you know, my role with the practices that we service um, is not to understand the cost side, right? We're a revenue side view of the world, right? So I can tell you what's happened with revenue per visit, you know, with with drive with payers driving reimbursement levels down. You know, Medicare's cut three percent per year for three years in a row, right? So, um, but we don't normally get into the cost side of operations. Now, I happen to have some visibility into that because I do work with some practice owners that we don't do revenue cycle for and, and work with them in the context of, 
um, trying to maximize the value of their practice, increase, you know, scalability, things like that. So I do have some visibility into it. Um, and it's, it's all over the map. I know of practices that are very large, eight, 10,000 visits a month that make no money. Um, and practices that are 2000 visits a month running at 20% margins. So it's all points in between. And a lot of it, so much of it depends on your demographic, where the where the practice is located. The demographic location drives a lot of your payer mix, right? You guys are the marketing experts about how you try and, and feed your practice, you know, new business. Um, but you know, there's there's a there's a financial quality to to new patients, right? And so where you are and all that kind of stuff is is important and 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 determining that. But I, I think that um, revenue per visits outside of really good strategies to keep revenue per visit up are probably down closer to 10%. Um, and the variance in the market has to do with how well practice owners are doing with implementing things that can keep it up. What I want to suggest is that every, every practice, a constant should be you're getting everything on the table as quickly as possible. Without that condition, other things become more blurry, right? It's hard to know what you need to ask from a payer if you're leaving money on the table and your margin is really low because you're not converting all your potential revenue to cash, right? Or if it's taking you 60 days instead of 20. Right. And there's a lot of cost in that. So you I'm, I'm a big believer in, in knowing conditions and making condition based decisions. Right. And the conditions are defined by data. Um, and so you want to create the best conditions you can for the structures that you have. And if that's not giving you what you need in terms of margin, then it's the structure that needs to be changed. But if you're operationally leaving a lot of money on the table to go about changing structure is kind of risky because you're doing it without total clarity about what you really have and, and what you really need. Got it. Are you a practice owner with a growth mindset? You're looking to grow your revenues, leave a bigger impact, build a legacy and help more people in your practice yet at the same time, you're dealing with the big challenges and headwinds like declining reimbursements, increased cost of doing business because of inflation, how to incentivize your staff or deciding where's the best place to run your online ads. Growing a practice can be absolutely overwhelming. To help, Breakthrough has put together a unique offer that I think you'll be interested in. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast can schedule a risk-free growth consultation with a Breakthrough Growth Expert. On that call, you'll walk through what you're currently doing in your practice and what you could be doing to increase the demand for your services. Breakthrough's mission is to help people overcome their health challenges naturally. And the best way for them to do that is by helping private practice owners just like you through building more demand for your services. Go to breakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer to take advantage of this unique opportunity. On that call, You'll learn the key principles of how practice owners are helping more people, creating a bigger impact, and building better businesses with Breakthrough Systems. As an added bonus, the team at Breakthrough is giving a $50 Amazon gift card to any of the podcast listeners who attend the growth consultation. 
Sign up for your growth consultation and $50 gift card at getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. Again, that's getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. Um, going to Bob University for the last few years, I wrote down the evolution um, as I saw it. And I just wanted to know if I missed anything. So I think the first thing that we ever talked about, likely on a podcast episode, and I know in on frequent calls with owners was the the ADO and pair mix concept that seemed to be the, at least the biggest fire, the, the most emphasis in uh, how owners were leaving money on the table at the time. It, then I think there was an evolution to AR time, which was this idea of balance between how much time we're spending collecting AR versus time actually. Uh, Is Yeah. Yeah. If you yeah, can the, talk about that, that'd be great. Yeah, does the time investment for AR match the condition of the AR? Yeah. Right. So yeah, where we started was we really wanted to define the what, right? Make sure we had an accurate understanding of the levels of things, the, the, the define the condition in terms of, you know, ADO score is a relative metric. And that's an important thing to, to grab onto is, there's so much more value in relative metrics than just isolated data points, right? That, you know, my average time in AR is 25 days. My expected time in AR based on my pair mix is 25 days. Now, you know, that 25 days is a good number, right? My average time in AR is 30 days, but my expected time in AR is 20 days. Not so good, right? So because there's a difference, a relative difference between actual and what it should be. And so understanding the condition. So when we were looking at constantly find, seeing ADO scores in the market over 200%, meaning it's taking twice as long as it should to get paid, and we were able to translate that into revenue per visit loss over a period of time, because as we moved revenue uh, ADO scores back to 100%, we saw revenue per visits go up. And we knew there's a correlation between the two. But the evolutionary step has been in explaining why the 200% ADO score exists. Not just measuring that that's what it is, but really understanding the drivers that cause AR to get inflated. And you cannot just look at an inflated AR and equate that with a biller that's not doing their job because it is way more complicated than that. All these complexity factors. In fact, it could be nothing. It could have nothing to do with your biller. It could have everything to do with your biller. You have to know the difference, right? So we could... I'm sure you could give uh, with with the 27 kids you have, Chad. You know you could uh, <laughs> you could give examples. You know, relate that to, to kids. You know, you you have to look at it. You know, what how are they functioning in the reality that they exist in, right? And so, the billing process is affected by all the other things that go on. Outside of billing, that's what revenue cycle is. That's why we talk revenue cycle today and not billing, because billing is just one function of many in revenue cycle. 
Your clinical documentation is revenue cycle. Your verification of benefits is revenue cycle. Your eligibility, your enrollments with payers, your credentialing, your authorization management. These are all functions that happen in every practice, unless you're 100% cash. Then you just, you're like a sane business, right? Like, you, you know, you're like normal businesses. You, you do something and you get paid for it. Well, that's not healthcare, right? So- And um, there's other problems. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, all, all of those things directly affect the time it takes to get billing done. And that's why what we've done is said, you know what? Since that's true, and we know that that's true, we should be using billing, the time investment in billing, in reverse to understand how all the things are working. And so your biller, I can tell you, whether you're outsourced or in-house, your biller is directly affected by how every other function in your practice works. Um, and, and so we've just gone down the path of really quantifying how, how much, to what extent, where is the source of these things? Um, you know, can, you, so can you talk more about the, 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 so when you were here in Harrisburg, we were talking about the, the data project that you're working on and, yeah. Business intelligence specifically about it. so I I I and by the way, I want to go back to my cliff notes. So it was ADO payer mix. The next big thing that I think we emphasized was AR and the time spent there. And then the, the most recent is uh the business intelligence and really focusing on mistakes or errors that are the biller's responsibility or not, and the time delay that that is happening yeah. with that. Is that pretty accurate? Yes, it's totally accurate. Um, okay. So latest project that you're working on. Yeah, latest project is, so we've now, um, because there's so much that happens, there's so much comp sources of complexity, structural and operational. We want, we're trying to break all this down and understand all of them, right? I, I equate revenue cycle complexity, um, and I wrote a series of three articles in Impact uh, last fall, August, September, October. I we'll we'll link that out for everybody in the show notes, just for the record. Okay, yeah. but I, I I equate revenue cycle complexity with the black hole, um, and I'm weird, and I read quantum physics and stuff, and I try to understand stuff like black holes, and and it's really interesting because what a black you know black holes are out there, they're everywhere, they affect everything, they create galaxies, they do all this stuff, right? And you're, you're eccentric, Bob. You, yeah, you're, you're not weird. Yeah. You can't see them. Like they just literally in the last year photographed the first black hole ever, right? Um, and, and and so they're there. They affect everything, but they're very mysterious and hard to quantify. And that's what revenue cycle complexity is. It is there. It is real. It is affecting your practice. The only question is, is it a tiny little black hole or a huge supermassive black hole? Is it really wreaking havoc with things or is it just a little nuisance? Right. So you have to understand this. So what, what we've done is we've built a platform that all of our billing team is in all day long. And every time they encounter something that causes them to have to now go in different directions, take a turn, take a U-turn, stop, spend more time, they quantify that. It's a three to five second process to quantify it. It's a three-click hierarchy. It allows us to capture about 250 different scenarios. Click, click, 
click, that affected one claim, that affected five claims. They're done. That, it's, that's a time investment. And now we've captured data um, about what caused the biller to have to spend more time. And we've we've built this thing in a way that we re, we we relate the issue back to the source problem. Was it a patient registration problem? Was it a clinical documentation problem? Is it a reg, a, a credentialing problem? An auth problem, right? So, what kind of the nature of it? Where does it come from? Um, and the three clicks gives us it takes us from high level understanding, like we were missing information which is different than we're dealing with incorrect information, right? That's just one example. Um, got about nine big picture kinds of things. Each thing has sub-levels to it and each sub-level has a detail level to it. So three clicks takes us down to a description like missing insurance information. It was the member ID. We now we know exactly what the problem was. Three seconds, five seconds, we, we've captured that. So they do this all day long. Um, and, and so what we've been able to do is put together a profile of what a normal practice actually looks like in terms of issues that are created from a time inflation standpoint in billing. And we've, we're now relating that back to how much revenue is held up, how much revenue is put at risk if this problem isn't fixed, What's the cost, not only in terms of labor, but in terms of lost or delayed revenue? And so we're really building out this database of uh, to explain this complexity, you know, black hole. Um, we're also now adding individual payer issues, right? So uh, where we started, we just had a, a category of payer error, um, authorization, misinformation, click, click, click. Now we're saying payer error. Oh, UHC, Aetna, right? Every, we're, we're, we're building a database now for every specific payer in terms of how many errors do the payers make, which will be very interesting. Um, so you might want to have me again before I get, you know, taken out. <laughs> <laughs> or before I'm in a position to go public with that. But um, do, do you have that, any... Uh climbing trips coming up here that I mountaineering trips that I should know about no no the, the okay. I'm going up it's the coming down the, the knees knees talk to me a little too much now so um yeah. I mean I learned to fly off you know then then I could be back in the game but um anyway so we're we're, we're quantifying all these things and um we know that um so let me I'll give you a a, a snapshot of all the data. So in the in the about the last 16 to 17 months, we've collected this data on almost a million claims now. So it's a that's a pretty good data set. Um 68% of all issues that we encounter, and we define issue as it's a time inflator for biller for the biller and it's a revenue risk for the practice. Revenue risk are two two types amount of money timing of getting paid, okay? 68% on this million claim study, the problems were caused internal to the practice. All those revenue cycle functions I've mentioned a few times. 23% of all of the problems are created by the payer. Um, 
What's interesting about payer generator problems compared to practice generator problems is that the average payer problem takes 334% of the time to fix as the average practice caused problem. So the volume of payer problems is actually only 8%, but the time investment, the time cost is actually 23% because they're much more expensive in terms of time per problem. The other 9% are, are your systems. Differences and efficiencies of, of the softwares that are in use, the clearinghouses that are in use. And so um, to me, that's a problem, right? We look at our industry and we look at these variables like decreased reimbursement, tight margins. That, that creates a lot of stress, right? Should I sell? Should I try to stay? Right. Um, what do I do? How do I become more scalable and stable and all this kind of stuff? 68% of the complexity that's created comes from inside the practice. So to me, that's tremendous opportunity for improvement. It just has to start with understanding what's the nature and the volume and the frequency and the severity of the problems that I have. And that's what we're quantifying. So um, how does an owner learn more? How do they get in contact with you? How do they take a look at what you're doing and really learn more about putting this in their practice? Yeah. The, so the best email to get me at is, is my uh, revenue cycle management company, Robert at certified rsllc.com. That's an evolution, right? We used to be called Certified Reimbursement Solutions. Now we're Revenue Cycle Solutions, right? So we just changed our name. Uh, but our, my email is still attached to the old name. So certifiedrsllc.com. Um, we have, um, and if, if I'm allowed to kind of say what we're doing in terms of how we're helping practices. Please do, yes. Um, so if you use us to do your billing, right? All this data, all this stuff, all the use of this platform uh, is all part of how we do the billing. Because we now we now look at doing billing, getting the billing task done is as important as it has ever been, but it's now secondary to using billing to create data that can be used to improve the practice. Right. And I could share a case study if you'd like about how powerful that could be when it really. Yep. Um, so um, before I hit that, the so that's one option. The other option, which makes this kind of unique, is personally, I, I I'm not here to try to convince everybody to outsource their billing. Right. Um, but I believe that billing should be done the way that we do it. And so the platform will be coming online and available to practices that do their own billing, that want to convert their billing people into BI tools to generate this data. You could do it the same way that we do it. So that's something that's on the horizon here, not too far off. Um, so if, if you're interested in either scenario, if you're interested in data, you know, just you, you know, reach out. Um, so quick case study. Uh, Four years evolution with a practice. And this is not an isolated incident, right? Um, four years ago, 2,200 visits a month, $85 a visit. Their incidence rates of problems created per 100 visits per month. So we're normalizing this in that way so that we can compare big practices to little practices. So their incidence rates were 30 per 100. So a 30% 
problem rate, claim break rate, whatever you want to call it. Okay. 2,200 visits a month, 85 bucks a visit, 30% problem rate. Today, 5,000 visits a month, $102 a visit, 5% problem rate. There's, there's a correlation there. The revenue per visit change and the, um, and, and a couple other pieces of information, billing efficiency almost doubled and the cost of billing down 40%. So that you combine all that together, you could do the quick math if you want, you got a calculator handy, but take 5,000 visits a month, multiply it by $17 a visit, about 960 grand in revenue. And when you make these kinds of changes, right? A hundred percent of that is profit. Didn't, it doesn't cost you any more to get paid 102 than it did to get paid 85. You're still doing all the same things. Now it will actually cost you less because there's less problems, less fires to put out. The, the cost of your billing operation should go down as the revenue goes up. And that's how we're structured. So we're outcome-based, right? So we want to incentivize and motivate alignment and being on the same side of the fence and problem solving and collaboration. So the only the, the major change in the practice was they went from 30% claim break to 5% claim break. Revenue goes up, cost goes down, and you take the you add all that together and apply a 7x multiple, you're talking about a $7 million practice valuation difference, right? So it is a very, very good strategy place to focus on improving. And I can help you do it either way. I'm on both sides of the fence now. Um, I don't, I'm not trying to talk you into outsourcing. If you want to keep it in-house, I can help you with that. Great. So Robert at certifiedrsllc.com. We'll make sure we have your uh, email your best email here um, in the show notes. And then we'll also, the PDF that you gave for the the black hole feeding off your practice. I love the articles. We'll make sure that's included in the, the show notes as well. Yeah, and um, if, you, if you wouldn't mind, if you do reach out through email in the subject line, if you could put, you know, um, grow your practice right. podcast with Chad, that would be awesome. <laughs> nice. Um, the other, uh, so final question for you, um, most influential book, in your life that that changed your thought process and life trajectory okay you're catching me yeah i have to think that's um, that's the purpose that's the, purpose of the question Bob. The most the most influential book um boy um boy i'm i am totally blanking out here um do you have a book that you've read multiple times and gone back to? Yeah, um, I read Scale many times. It's a book by a guy named David Finkel. I met, I read Scaling Up many times by Vern Harnish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say those from a business, you know, perspective. Um, you know, I read some off the wall stuff. I I've I love some of Stephen Hawking's stuff. I read everything ever written by Richard Feynman. If you don't know who he is, he's a PhD 
uh, Nobel Prize winning quantum physicist. So I could tell you those kinds of things, but that's a little bit. Surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman. <laughs> it could be. Yes. I think that's the name of his one of one of his books. Yeah, he and they they've taken a lot of his talks and published them into books and things like that. Very very interesting guy. You know, Nobel Prize winning quantum physicist who somehow in his own mind can can rectify the huge variance between science and religion, um, and, and at the same time play bongo drums in uh, in bars, you know, so on the weekends. And he's dead now, but anyway, super interesting guy. I like reading stuff about people like that that are kind of out there and trying to understand their mind and how they came to where they're at. Love it. Uh, thanks for the shares there. Great stuff. Um, love scaling up and scale. And the the thing that I took away from uh, Richard Feynman and everything I've read by him is I think he would carry a dozen questions uh, with him at all times of of things that he was pondering. And like if, if he was studying something in physics, he said, actually, the principles here might help him in another area of his life. Um, and I, I just I thought that's an amazing exercise. And I started a dozen questions and then lost them. But uh, yeah, yeah and great recommendation. Let me throw out my favorite quote of, uh, at, the, at the moment. It's by Albert Einstein. If you always do what you always did, you will always get what you always got. Kind of relevant to what we're talking about here. You know, innovation is is the way out. You got to really think, you know, you got to think innovative and you got to change. I mean, this this world's not standing still, right? AI, all stuff going on, right? There's lots of stuff going on. You have to, you have to think about what is it that I could change so I can get a different result. Perfect conclusion there, Bob. Thank you so much for uh, for doing this and everything that you're doing for private practice PT. It's great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chad. Same to you. You you guys are amazing at breakthrough and um, helping practices just scale and grow and and be relevant. And I still I, I believe we are the heart and soul of physical therapy private practice owners. So let's uh, stay in the game and and and, and keep evolving. Thanks, Bob. Okay. Thanks, Chad. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.